Hey, rock lovers, welcome to episode number 29 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded in central London just off Abbey Road. This week, we talk about a legendary singer, a Canadian and English singer, and that's Paul Rogers. Everyone who loves rock and roll knows some Paul Rogers songs, knows Free All Right Now, a huge breakout worldwide hit from the early 70s. And of course, the supergroup he played with in the 70s and early 80s, Bad Company. Bad Company was a big deal in America. They were signed to Led Zeppelin's Swan Song label and were managed by the legendary and notorious Peter Grant. Had crazy success. Then Paul started to move around more. He ended up playing for a while in The Firm with Jimmy Page. He ended up creating another supergroup of sorts called The Law. He ended up touring with Queen for a while. But for some reason, the general public does not know Paul Rogers. They may know all right now. They may know some bad company songs, but they may not know Paul Rogers by name. And he's an incredible talent, an incredible performer, who's still going today. And we feel he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame isn't everybody's favorite topic of conversation. And they... They get things wrong, they put people in too soon who maybe are borderline, and they leave people out who ought to be obvious, at least for a long time. And we just think that they should make a special case for Paul Rogers, not dissimilar to that of Ronnie James Dio, who maybe one of his bands isn't necessarily worthy, but on the whole of all the work he's done, all the singing he's done, all the songs he's written, all the gigs he's played, I think Paul Rogers deserves it. So we're going to examine that a little bit here uh, on episode 29. Now, as usual, we want you to check out our past episodes. You can go to www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Of course, you can download and subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter. We're at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. So for you classic and hard rockers, listen up about the great Paul Rogers here on The Wolf. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
do some stuff on the great Paul Rogers, really one of the greatest vocalists of the, the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but not necessarily a household name. Everybody might know all right now. Maybe everyone knows some Bad Company songs, but not everyone knows the greatness of Paul Rogers, I feel like. Yeah, unfortunately, he never had the big, giant hit crossover hit or whatever that a lot of these other people had. So you're right. Well, if I played you all the Bad Company songs, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I remember that one. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. If I said Paul Rogers, you'd just kind of say, I don't know who that is. And that's unfortunate. It really is. I mean, his voice is incredible. It's a very bluesy kind of hard rock voice, but it's not gravelly or anything. It's very smooth. It's very rich. He holds these notes very well and and has obviously recorded some amazing songs. Look, All Right Now is a huge international all-time playlist kind of thing. Like, it's been played two or three million times on the radio in America. It's been played over a million times, like, on the radio in England or something like that. It's, they, you know, free sold over 20 million records. Paul has sold over 125 million records throughout his various bands over the years. But he never gets the recognition that he deserves. And the fact that he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a crime. And I agree with you there. And and thinking about that, because that was the original concept for this episode was, should he be in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? The answer is yes. And I think he's one of those dudes that's like the guy that was on the football team that never made it to the Super Bowl. Like he, like if you look at him, he's got all kinds of passing records. He's, you know, played 13 years or something, but never really made it. That's the way I feel about him is that if you, if you took all or, and maybe played for a couple teams too, if you took all of his stuff and put it together, absolutely Hall of Fame career. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, the thing is, you you know, for years, Chic, now Rogers band for many years, yes. they kept getting nominated and they wouldn't get in. They get nominated and they wouldn't get in. And they wanted to put Chic in because Bernard and Tony Thompson, you know, the, the band themselves were great, but uh, great individual players. And they obviously made some amazing music. But was the band Chic really a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band? And the committee kept saying no. No, no, they're not. But Nile Rodgers has to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's written all those songs. He's written all those songs for other people. He's produced all these huge records. And then, yes, he was also in Sheik. So basically, after she kept getting turned down, turned down, they basically made like a special contributor category, or you know, made a special thing for Nile Rogers. Like Nile Rogers needs to be in. So even if she doesn't get in, Nile Rogers deserves it, and now he is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's exactly what they ought to do for Paul Rogers because Free won't get in. Bad Company is probably close, but the fact that they kind of had the Brian Howe, that second singer era, actually might hurt them more than it helps them. And then you know, obviously. the stuff that he did afterwards, Firm, Law, Queen, stuff like that, it just helps build his resume. It's it's the exact same argument I would make for Ronnie James Dio. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, his time in Black Sabbath wasn't enough to get him in. Rainbow's not going to get in. Would the Dio band get in on its own? Maybe. But Ronnie James Dio absolutely deserves to be in, and Paul Rogers does too. Correct, and they just inducted Randy Rhodes by himself into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so obviously you're okay with signaling out a single person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, Randy Rose only made two records, but definitely somebody who you know took those two records to the extreme. Uh, and I think you're right. He did. Paul Rogers definitely. And, and honestly, I didn't give him enough credit until we started doing this. Until we until I started doing research, 
it's one of those deals where if you were to go to a Paul Rogers Bad Company concert and mm-hmm. you'd say, eh, you know, okay, I'll, you want to go, we'll go, that's fine. You would sit there and say, hey, wait a minute, I know this song. Hey, wait a minute, I know this song too. This is a great band. They just never had the, I don't think they ever had the one big record. They never had the the Hotel California. But like you said, if you put it all there, like 10 from 6, mm-hmm. that's a great, every single one of those is a hit. And that's six records that I think all sold in excess of a million, but maybe not. Maybe one of them just went gold. But, I mean, they had multiple million-seller records. Yeah, I mean, they came out hot. The, the first album, and, and Bad Company is a super group, right? It's He and Paul Rogers and Simon Kirk, the drummer, were from Free, and All Right Now was a huge international hit. They sold millions of records as Free. Mick Ralphs had been in Matahupal, which was a bigger band over here than it was in America, uh, but a big influence on people like Def Leppard and others. And then Boz Burrell on the bass, who had been the singer and bass player in King Crimson. Yet another bassist lead singer that we are talking about from King Crimson on our show here. So yeah, they they come out big. They signed a swan song, which was Led Zeppelin's glamour label from Atlantic Records. Didn't have too many other people on it, but Bad Company surely was the big one. And right out of the gate, that first record, Bad Company, it sold five million in the U.S. alone and had amazing songs. On it. The, the album itself is killer, you know. Can't get enough. Obviously, that's a hit. Rock Steady is a good one. Ready for Love is my favorite, and I guess it was it was a Mott the Hoople song that that Mick Ralphs had had written, but maybe wasn't a hit. So they he brought it in and said, "Paul, why don't you do this one?" And to me, that's an amazing song. I, it sounds like he just has a, a maturity there, um, but he was still a relatively young man. If that came out in 74, I don't know if he was 24 or so years old, something like that. Obviously, he'd been working hard and free, and, and he learned a few things on the road, but that to me is is the highlight. But, you know, the whole thing, Bad Company, Don't Let Me Down, Seagull, beautiful song, and moving on, I mean, that first album was huge. And they were not only on the Swan Song label, they were managed by Peter Grant, the notorious Led Zeppelin manager, who got things done, protected his artists. And and you hear Simon Kirk talk about it days, like, we were so well taken care of. We, you know, we played huge shows. We got all the royalties. Nobody messed with us. It was great being on top. Yeah, they're, they're, if you ever want to have a good time, go back and watch the Peter Grant stuff from the Song Remains the Same. And it's just, yeah, like, it was, it was he did things his way, protected his guys. <laughs> If you got in his way, he would mow you down. Yeah, that was one of those people you wanted to work for, but not not get on the wrong side of. No, you don't want to be against. He's like 6'6", 325 pounds, man. He, could, he used to be a professional wrestler. He could smash you to bits, you know. And when he's in song remains the same, yelling at somebody, you know, for selling bootleg t-shirts. Yeah. It's like, well, I didn't know about it. It's like, you obviously knew about it. You're getting looked cut. And if you weren't, then you're a cop and an idiot, you know. Because <laughs> what are you going to do? Fight him? Go get in his face. Go ahead, man. I'd love to see you do it. <laughs> now, as a kind of a backtrack here for a minute, I read a story. I don't know if this is true, but I read a story that the Doors contacted Paul Rogers after Morrison passed on, and there was some talk about him joining the band. Obviously, it never happened, but to, but just, if that is a true story, just to have that feather in your cap that these guys wanted him to take over this band is pretty cool. That obviously didn't happen until late 90s with Ian Asbury. They did the Doors, the mm-hmm. 21st century Doors, right. but the, at least 
Rogers hopefully was smart enough to figure out, as David Crosby pointed out, the doors were like 99% Jim Morrison. (laughs) So to to try and step into that would have probably been a mistake for a 20-something-year-old dude. He definitely made the the better decision to to go out and and make this new band. Absolutely true. And uh, I I read that too. Uh, And I I think it's true. I, I think they actually came looking for him for a while because free... So, look, they start free, and it's basically a blues-based band, you know, a bluesy band. Their first album's called Tons of Sobs, which is not a very good name, if you ask me. And their second album's named Free. Why is the first one named Tons of Sobs? I don't know, but it might have been something like they were all teenagers. All of them were teenagers when they made that. Frazier may have even been 16, Andy Frazier, the bassist. That's really, really young. So, you know, and they made it for like 800 quid in a couple of days, you know. So they were probably just following the direction of people who were helping them with their career at that point. But then they did the free album and, you know, they kind of grew from there. You know, it it started to get on the charts and things like that. But, you know, look, March of 69, they put out tons of sobs. They toured October 69, they put out free. And then June of next year, 1970, they put out Fire and Water, which is generally regarded as their best record. Not for nothing, it does have All Right Now on it. The international hit, it went to number one in in something like 20 countries or, or more than that it's crazy how big that was for them so I listened to that I do have all their records and I wanted to listen to that to kind of to kind of get back on you know to understand their music a little bit better and Fire and Water is good you know Mr. Big became a big song for free over the years and obviously all right now but these are pretty short albums most of them are 35 36 37 minutes and and again they're bluesy and they do kind of stretch some stuff out a little bit Andy Fraser was the or Fraser was the bass player he and Paul wrote most all the songs. They had a, a young man, Paul Kossoff, who was a pretty good guitar player, but he also had serious drug problems. He really liked its quaaludes, apparently. And, uh, and, and you know, couldn't put them down. So this, this album, only seven songs on it, but good stuff, you know. The first two, they're kind of finding the way now. Fire and Water comes up, and they kind of blow up in no small part, thanks to All Right Now. Problem is, six months later, then they put out Highway. They put their next one out, right? So they're like, okay, we got the big hit. We got what we wanted. Now we're going with confidence back in the studio. And yeah, there was some good ones on Highway, but it certainly didn't recapture the magic of Fire and Water. Yeah, and that's a, that's a hard that's a hard place to be in for a band like that because you, you, you know, you never want to, you always think the next one's going to be bigger. The next one's going to be bigger and to have that fall off. And then it's like, you know, then you got other things start coming in like the drug problems and everything else. And people Mm -hmm. start fighting with each other and, I would imagine that if the if you don't have enough traction, the record company starts moving on too. They're like, well, you know, well, who else we got? This one is dud. So that's a tough spot to be in. It is, you know, and they're so young. I mean, if it, you know, sixty nine, they're teenagers. By seventy one, well, okay, are they twenty now? Are you supposed to have all this incredible, you know, knowledge now that you're twenty? You and I lived together when we were twenty. We didn't know jack shit. <laughs> So I, you know, and we were we weren't dumb kids. We just didn't know anything. Well, let me let me put this disclaimer on here. It's didn't that's it's not that we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything of value. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, we had a right. lot of useless knowledge. That's right. Yes. Yeah. We. Uh, so yeah. So seventy one comes along, and that might have been when they actually searched him out because. Free broke up. Paul Kossoff kind of had a bit of a breakdown and had his drug issues. And he's like, 
Oh, man, you know, it wasn't a hit. We didn't follow it up with a big one. So they broke up and they put out a live album just to kind of satisfy the fans. That might have been when they were searching for him to, to join the Doors. He was also asked to join somebody else huge. You know you know what it was in the 70s? Um, after Ian Gillen left Deep Purple, they asked him to take over for that, too. Like, like when Free okay. broke up the first time, they, the Doors tried to find him and the time passed. But then when Free broke up again, before they got David Coverdale and uh, the voice of rock, Glenn Hughes, uh, they apparently asked him to do that, too. So, wow. I mean, that's that just shows you his range and his talent if you're going to get picked off by those guys, man. Correct. Correct. That goes back to, obviously, they, people saw in him the talent to be a, to, not only to be a singer, but to be a front man, too, to, to kind of lead the band along. I mean, the shoes that you'd have to fill from Morrison are just unbelievable. And he made the right call. I mean, you know. He, Absolutely. He, There's no way that would have worked out for him. There's just no way. They would have put out a record. Everybody would have said, I told you it was Jim Morrison's band. Mm-hmm. Boo. And then who knows what he would have done after that. It's like they're, they're obviously, this guy's got it. He's got the magic touch. And he's writing all these songs too. And he plays the piano. And he plays a little bit of guitar. You know, and he keeps himself in good shape. So, you know, he, he can be out front there. He's a great addition to any band he joins, right? So, all right, then free kind of get back together. They're like, okay, we're going to we're gonna try this. You know, maybe not put so much pressure on, on Paul. You know, they do Free at last, which you know it, it has a couple of songs on it. You know, it's it's most it, they go ahead and and give everybody writing credit, like they all share the writing credit, even though maybe you didn't necessarily deserve all of it. You know, but they, they figure yeah. okay, this will help, right? This will help everybody. Will feel good about it. And they, but they were just totally worried about Kossoff, and he was just unreliable. So then in '73 they did their last album, Heartbreaker, and that title track, Heartbreaker, is a pretty good song, good blues song, fits in well with their other. Stuff, but they had to use other musicians at this point because Kossoff really couldn't do it. They couldn't tour because he's too unreliable. Uh, and so the band kind of fell apart. And unfortunately, Kossoff had a pulmonary embolism on a flight to New York. Um, oh, jeez. And he died, you know, on the way to New York. He died in the air at 25 years old. So that's that's kind of unfortunate. And But you have to move on. Bands break up. Paul's getting different offers to do different things. And then the opportunity to put Bad Company together came along. And so he's like, yeah, I got Simon Kirk. He's a great drummer. The ladies love him. He's always popular with the groupies. He's always playing with his shirt off. We get Mick Rouse from Mott, and we'll get Boz in, and now we've got a super group, and signed to Atlantic, get with Led Zeppelin, get with Peter Grant, and they're on their way, man. Yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like, if you put all those pieces together, that definitely sounds like the, the recipe for success with because like you said I don't really remember anybody else I'm sure there were that were on Swan Song other than Zeppelin and Bad Company but to have that out in front that's pretty that's a big deal right off the bat because I could imagine when you got that record originally mm-hmm. and you sw- you flipped it over and you saw the angel dude on the back and you're like hey wait a minute this is it automatically gave it a little more credit no doubt about it and that first it sold so well man I mean it, you know it's like five times platinum in the US it's crazy you know which which is great and then more around the world obviously had all those great songs on it and then you know next year they get into straight shooter again triple platinum in the u.s go gold you know in other territories around the world and and again everybody's still still contributing right rogers is the primary songwriter but mick ralphs does a lot of it too they do some together simon kirk is not just a drummer he's also a pretty darn good guitar player and is a songwriter and and gets credits on here shooting star is on there an amazing uh, 
Bad Company song, and one that Rogers was talking about, you know, he said, I can't believe no one's ever done this story before, right? Schoolboy, grew up listening to the Beatles, wants to go out and be a rock star, makes it, but then the excess comes in and he dies. Like, no one's written that song before? I can't believe yeah. it. And, and it's, it, unfortunately, it, 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 he does it in a way that is sad, but it's also a song that you can listen to. Like, you don't really feel, like, super depressed listening to it. I mean, you can listen to the lyrics, but I think the, the music, it gives it kind of a good dichotomy on that one so it's not like oh geez this is really depressing even no, no. though the message is kind of depressing and you know he I even saw an interview in the last several years where he's like you know if I have time which I'd like to I could work it into like a musical about a kid you know who grows uh, up and wants yeah. to be a rock star and you know then goes through gets huge you know I could put some of my songs in there we could do new songs I'm like yeah that could have legs as a as a musical I can see that feel like making love yeah. good love and that, gone bad a, yep that's a that's another good uh, rock radio anthem. Yeah, big, huge guitar war, you know, chords. Feel yeah. like making <clears throat> and a, and a good one live too, because you know it's coming. You're like, oh, here it goes. Yeah, for the uh, for the the guitar player, whoever's out there with them. Yeah, I mean, just it, it's it's the more I think about this, the more it's crazy that these things didn't work. This this band just isn't big enough in the United States, and it could just be that they just like I said, never had that one crossover mainstream hit. That everybody jumped onto. It was more like rock radio, you know, album sales. Right. And we've heard all those songs, you know, sure. on rock radio over the years, but you're right. It was never like super pop. Oh, here's their number one hit. You know, they never had the all right now. It goes all over the world. They were respected, right. but they were never like household names necessarily. Yeah. They, they never had that, like that Fleetwood Mac, like rumors crossover where they were. Yeah. Like your mom doesn't know who bad company is. It, right. Just never heard of them before. And probably, well, probably my dad doesn't either, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> there you go. You know? So then the next year, 76, they do run with the pack. You know, it's got live for the music, which is a good one. I like running with the pack. That yeah. song, you know, it's good. And then, the, you know, the, First song aside too, Silver, Blue, and Gold. That's another one that gets on. I don't know if it's a big single, but it's on rock radio. It's great. And and I'll tell you, I was listening to that for this show. He kills it on that. I mean, his voice is just, you know, I can imagine like, you know, you look at, you think about the uh, control booth and those needles going up and down on mm -hmm. the, on the uh, readings. I can see that thing going way up when he, you know, hey, can you maybe take a step back from the mic or something, Paul, because you're just blowing us all out. His voice is killing it on that track. It's amazing, yeah. Don't forsake me because I love you, you know? He, yeah. he, he wrote this song, too, you know? So I... They're going from strength to strength to strength. You know, they're selling millions of records each year. They're putting one out, and they do well. You know, um, Burning Sky follows in 1977, and this one didn't necessarily go platinum in the U.S. And it, it, I think it caused a little controversy. If you see the album cover, it's Paul Rogers standing about three steps in front of the other three guys. And if you ever saw the Cameron Crowe movie, Almost Famous, like when they get the t-shirts backstage, like, all right, boys, our t-shirts are here. And they look at, and it's basically, it's got Russell up front and the other three guys in the background. He goes, how can you tell if I'm upset? I'm just one of the out of focus guys standing behind you, you know? <laughs> That's exactly where this came from. And that probably caused some tensions in the band, would be my guess. Yeah, and, and I think too when you get I think when you get famous, it you kind of get things twisted up a little bit. I mean, if if Paul Rogers is the out in front writing all the songs, he's the star of the band. But yeah, you think to yourself, you know, oh no, they're here to see the bass play. No, they're really not. 
So, but I can imagine, yes, that would we, that would put a little bit of a uh, little bit of poison in the water there. Really could, you know. And he wrote most of the songs, about half the songs in the album, he wrote by himself. Mick did some songs. Simon got one on there. They did some kind of as an ensemble. But Burning Sky was a good one. Again, you know, these things start to happen. The drugs start to creep in. The egos start to creep in. All that money starts to creep in and starts to fall apart. Desolation Angels was kind of their comeback and they started to use some like guitar synth and some some different kind of things on there that were a little bit different but you know Rock and Roll Fantasy great AOR song Gone 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 is a cool song and actually Boz Burrell wrote that one so you know it, they continued to do well you know maybe not four great you know, huge hits on every album, but everyone had two or three that were really good, and they just kind of yeah. kept going. Yeah, and then and then it was so. What was that? That was seventy nine. Mm-hmm. And so, when did Ten from Six come out? Because I think that really that was one of those ones that, like, back in the you had the tape or CD. That was the one that you wanted because it had all hits on. Now, unfortunately, right. when you do that, you're going to miss some of these album cuts. But it's a good way to get into the band, and it makes you think they had one giant hit record. Right. Right. And no, I, and I had it. Yeah, no, 10 for 6 came out in 1985. So in 79, they do Desolation Angels. It, it kind of puts them back up after, you know, a couple that didn't do maybe quite as well. But then John Bonham dies in 1980. And Peter Grant, most people say, was once Bonzo died because he was his best friend in the band. He lost a lot. And his life was not the same after that. And obviously Zeppelin were done after that. And he wasn't really interested in, in managing Bad Company or anybody else for that manager. Like, Led Zeppelin was so special to him, such an important part of his life. And when they were done, it, it kind of it, it took a part of his life away from him. And I don't know if he ever really recovered from that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think the, the stuff that I've seen, you're right. Once Bonham died, the band was over. He just re- really withdrew, kind of to his you know zillion dollar, I'm sure, country estate, mm-hmm. and you know did some business related things, but was never just a shell of the of the guy who was. You saw in in song remains the same. Yeah, yeah. So it you know it took them a while to recover from that. They made rough diamonds in '82, but it was not their best effort. And time had passed. And you know in '82 suddenly you've got MTV and Duran Duran and this kind of bluesy rock was kind of out of favor. So it was kind of time for everybody to move on. Ten for Six comes out in 1985, and I my buddy. Jordan had it on CD, so of course I took my 90-minute cassette and put that on one side, put the Cars Greatest Hits, another of his CDs, on the other. And that was one of the that was one of the ones I played over and over again. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of the end of Bad Company for a while. And Paul Rogers is like, okay, ah, I'm out. You know, I mean it was great and all. We we did a lot of great stuff, but it's also it's a big machine. You have to deal with these other four people. There's the drugs. There's the egos. And he goes off and does a, in 83, I think it was, does his first solo album, Cut Loose, which maybe didn't yes. run off the charts, but it, it's got it's got some good tracks on it. It's, look, it, it's got him singing his songs. You know, it's it's not one that I would buy, but uh, it's it's good. It's good, Paul Rogers. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't I can't tell you any of the songs on that that really made an impression on me. I mean, it's a good. I mean, it's a it's a solid record, but again, nothing like oh, I I love this one track. Right. You know, and that. 
that's part of why a lot of people don't know him because he never just made it as Paul Rogers. It was Paul Rogers from Free, Paul Rogers from Bad Company. It was never, he never really, I mean, obviously later in his life, he got to tour as Paul Rogers because rock fans know him. The general public has never really caught on. Now, continuing on there, after his solo album, there was a, there was a big tour, benefit tour for multiple sclerosis. And it was artists, it was ARMS, ARMS was the kind of the name of the tour and a bunch of great artists got together and it was kind of in benefit of Ronnie Lane who had been in the faces but he had MS so it had like Charlie Watts and Bill Wyman of the Stones in there it had Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page which is amazing it's something that everybody had wanted to see for so long since they had always been in the Yardbirds I think Steve Winwood was in there as well and Paul Rogers was on it and I've got uh, a great there's a VHS cassette of it Jackson that I bought probably at Blockbuster at <laughs> After we were, you know, out of school and Blockbuster was still around, like, okay, we don't rent this anymore. Now we're just trying to sell it to get rid of the inventory. I'm like, what is this? Paige and Clapton and Beck all together? That's amazing. I got to have that, you know? And they have Jimmy doing Stairway without a singer. Just him doing, you know, the song with the band, which is... Oh, you know what? I've seen that before. That's pretty cool. It's pretty that's cool. The, not, something that you, not something that you would ever... St- think you would see right and if you were to say hey would you ever want to listen to Stairway to Heaven without the vocal part no I don't think so but he did a really good job on that I totally and I agree. think I think that first Bad Company record was was recorded at Ronnie Lane's studio I think or yeah his, so his, they, his they, mobile was, studio yeah yeah so there was definitely a connection there between Rogers and uh, and Ronnie Lane well that's right yeah and, and you know from what I see most people get along with Paul Rogers he seems like a pretty amiable guy and people dig him you know think he's a good dude so it should work so we're, we're in the mid 80s now paul's kind of looking for something to do jimmy page had done a little bit i guess with the honey drippers he also did an album with roy harper roy harper is probably best known for singing have a cigar uh for pink floyd everyone thinks that's roger but it's not it's roy harper right and, yeah. and roy's done a lot of albums over the year and in 1985 he did one called whatever happened to jugula with jimmy page <laughs> i bought the record gary it's really cool you know i'll buy anything that Jimmy Page is on. It's dark. It's like he's finally out of his heroin abuse, but he's still got some scars from it. Not to mention Roy's voice is kind of haunting and odd in some ways anyway. So they made that record. On that record is a young bass player called Tony Franklin, the fretless wonder, because he played this big fretless bass, but he was a young man. He was just a kid. And so then Page is starting to put together this band. Got Tony Franklin. He picks up Chris Slade. And I know Chris Slade is psyched that he's been mentioned in three of the last four Ugly American American Werewolf in London podcasts now, but but a great, powerful drummer. And then Paige is like, I'll get with Paul. You know, it used to be label mates. Now we'll get Paul Rogers on here. And Paul was like, I think, look, Jimmy, I just, you know, I was just in bad company for 10 years. I don't want to get into another big, huge band again. I just, I can't do it. And so he said, look, you know, we'll just... Allegedly, this is what he said. It seems too perfect to me that this is what he said and that's what happened. But Jimmy just said, look, we'll just do two albums and two tours and that's it. And that's the way it worked out. So here he is basically in another super group again <laughs> with, with Jimmy Page, which couldn't have been bigger. You know, Chris Slade, he was in Uriah Heep. He was in Manford Man's Earth Band. Obviously, we uh, talked about him on our ACDC episode. And of course, he was in Asia because everything comes back to Asia. <laughs> Uh, but but the, the, 
this was this was probably more of a super group than Bad Company because this was, and I remember this too. I mean, I, I kind of knew who Jimmy Page was in 1984. Mm-hmm. Like he was in Led Zeppelin. I kind of knew Led Zeppelin, but this was like his big kind of comeback. I, I mean, Radioactive was on MTV mm-hmm. and Paul Rogers, you know, they mentioned he was in Bad Company. So, I mean, this was a big deal in my memory that this thing came out. Definitely, man. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you that I personally have a problem with the track Radioactive, but that's just me. All right, well then, you know, tell me about that because I remember this being a big deal. I remember the Radioactive, both the video and the song, being a big deal. You heard it on the radio. They had the the, the video and he had the big double neck Gibson out on that track so i'm like okay that's cool right okay but here's here's my here's my take here's my particular problem with radioactive you tell me that you just brought a brand new ferrari and i say seriously well let me come over and check it out Mm -hmm. come over to the house it's in the driveway and i say let's take this thing out and see how fast it goes and you say i don't really want to drive it anywhere i just kind of want to look at it maybe (laughs) we'll kind of drive it around in the drive a little bit but we're not going to really take it out on the road. That's not a Jimmy Page song. I don't know what he's doing on that thing, but that... Yeah. To me, it's the bass. The bass kills it. Paul Rogers sounds great. But that... I mean, where's where's Jimmy Page on this? Where's the full Page Phoenix face-melting Jimmy Page? Where is that? It's not on this track. And I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, I... I just remember it being a hit, and I'm like, that's cool. I'm glad Paige's back. So I listened to this. I've had these two records for years, thanks to Napster. And, um, you know, here's the thing. If you put the first two records, The Firm, which came out in, what, 1985, and then Mean Business, which came out in 86, if you take the best songs off both albums, you do have one pretty good rock album. But some of these songs, you're right, are not that good. Pagey isn't really doing his thing. The fact that they put, you've lost that love and feel feeling on there is offensive to me <laughs> i mean it's cool that I'm, to hear paul sing it that's one thing but like why'd they have to put it on the firm record it didn't make sense to me right and 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 honestly going back to to the radioactive which was the big radio hit mm-hmm. tony franklin sounds really cool on it the bass is really cool and it, it's got a pretty good hook to it, but yeah, that's that's about it for me. And you're right. I think if you took both of those records, put them together, you you would have two. You have one pretty good record. Yeah. And then that goes back to your. I kind of have a hard time believing that they said right from the beginning we're only going to do two records. I right. think they did the second record, really didn't go anywhere, and then they're like, oh, that's enough. Hold yeah. On. Well, yeah. and you know, look, satisfaction guaranteed was also a single, and I like that one. It's and they made a video out of that. It's it's a pretty good song. That's a good song too, but not not. Jimmy Page. Not Jimmy Page. Well, in Midnight Moonlight, they let it go out again a, a little bit. That's a nice long song, good way to wrap it up the album. But yeah, what stands out to me is totally Tony Franklin with that crazy mmm, mmm, mmm. It's kind of an amazing bass that, that he can put on these songs. And so it's cool. And then look, Mean Business, there's a song on there called All the King's Horses, which was their kind of big hit or big single, I guess. I mean, Fortune Hunter, I, I think, you know, was, was one that they had released. But All the King's Horses, it's short, but it's got a kind of a proggy because I think Tony Franklin, in addition to his bass, plays a little keyboard on here. Okay. And, and so it's different. It, it's not not just the bluesy rock that Pagey and, and Paul
Paul Rogers are known for, but I love this track. And I'm like, damn, that's that's really good. And then Live in Peace was another one they did a big video for. And you see it on, on MTV it would or on YouTube now. It would have fit perfectly on MTV back in the day with some shots of the band, but then also showing maybe the, the shots of a old samurai being murdered by ninjas and his family. But all this kind of interesting imagery there. But yeah, yeah that's it, a good MTV segue. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was good. You know, so the first side of Mean Business was good. The second side had some interesting stuff on it not all of it but you know the rhythm the rhythm section with those two Chris Slade and Tony Franklin is great you would have thought that having Paige on guitar and Paul Rogers would have spawned some extraordinary stuff and maybe if there's a third album they would have gotten to that point like okay now we know each other well enough and we've we've done this live enough times that we kind of figure out what our sound was but they never really quite did again you put all the best songs from the two albums into one you'd have something decent there but then the the one you threw away is not that memorable for me. Yeah, yeah. So, so then he he moves on from that, and then and then I don't know. I mean, what where is his head at after this? You know, you put out the one solo record that didn't light the world on fire. You had this, which I'm sure was a, I'm sure doing the the band with Jimmy Page was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. uh, on him to to produce songs and then do the tour and the videos and everything else. This was not this was never going to fly under the radar. So right. after these two, I would really like to know like where you know do you take a break? Do you just say okay, I'm going to go back to what I was you know the the original stuff I was good at, or you know where do I go from here? I'm kind of back to zero again. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean that's the thing. And and then you know here's in 1991 I had heard about this band. I hadn't listened to any of it before doing research for this show. In 91, he makes a new somewhat of a super group called The Law with him and Kenny Jones, who had been with The Faces, but he'd been The Who, is what I knew him from. He took over after Keith Moon died at the end and had a nice stint there. So I listened to this record. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I remember, I mean, I remember this, the law being on the radio, rock radio anyway, laying mm-hmm. down the law. Uh, it was one of those, like, the, the, I think the problem with this one, it was a lot like, so you had Bad Company from Bad Company mm-hmm. off the record Bad Company. Okay, now we've got the law from the law, oh, laying down the law mm-hmm. off the law record. I'm like, are we doing this again? What's <laughs> right. going on here? Yeah, and and Kenny Jones is a fine drummer, no doubt about it, but it's not like he has these famous fills that he's really known for. And That first video laying down the law was kind of a, obviously it was produced well and had some money behind it. I just didn't think the song was that great, you know? And then I think David Gilmour was on uh, Stone, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the song Stone. And, and, you know, Phil Collin wrote him a song on this album. Brian Adams wrote a song. So it's like, you know, everyone's thinking this is a big thing, big budget thing that people are going to get behind. And I think it fell flat a little bit. Nobody really wanted them to tour. I think they played one live show supporting like ZZ Top or something like that. But nobody really wanted them. And of course, in 91, the grunge thing started, which was a real game changer. Not necessarily right away for you and me, but but obviously the music industry kind of sat up and took notice of that and that changed things a bit for the Paul Rogers of this world. Uh, Yeah, especially, you know, like you said, it took us a minute, but like, MTV, it didn't take any time. Once Nirvana came out, 
the entire mm-hmm. thing just shifted over. And yeah, if you were, oh, you know, it, we're, we were big in the 70s and the uh, next, moving along. If you're not from Seattle, I didn't want to hear about it. That's right. So next. So yeah, that, that was going to be a, that was going to be a tough sell in anything other than hardcore album rock areas. That's right. And that's, and that's suddenly changing. So now he can go out and just be Paul Rogers. He's got enough material that he can sing songs from all of his previous bands. And, you know, he does a uh, Muddy Waters Blues, a tribute to Muddy Waters. And guess who does he get to work with? Well, he only gets Brian May, David Gilmour, Jeff Beck, Steve Miller, Buddy Guy, Brian Setzer, Slash, Neil Sean, Trevor Rabin. I mean, people line up to work with Paul Rogers. Same with Tony Franklin. When I was going through this, I'm like, Tony Franklin was awesome. What else did he go on to do? Well, he worked with a lot of amazing people. He played on a lot of albums because people, musicians, know him and know that he's got the goods. There was a great, and I don't even know if we're going to use this in this one, but there was there was a great story that Peter Frampton told of being asked to be on one of George Harrison's records. Ah. He was, Absolutely, I would love to. He gets there to the studio and George Harrison is standing there, looks him in the eye and says, hello, Pete. And he just loses it. So, it, it, but his point was that if, you, if you're a dude that's, that's solid, rock solid as a player, people will come and find you. And you're right, to have Tony Franklin be in that high of a demand means that, yeah, he's, everybody knows... He can just walk right in and play whatever you give him. There's no learning curve. There's no anything. The dude is just solid. Is and awesome. the same thing with Paul Rogers, too. You know you know he's not going to be 300 pounds. You know he's not going to come in and be like, oh, I haven't. Oh, the voice is a little, no, always 100% all the time. But so, all right, so so then through the 90s, he kind of just, he can tour and just be Paul Rogers, right? He, he can mm-hmm. do all his great hits. He can work with anybody he wants to, really. You know, he tours, he makes some more solo albums that kind of thing eventually at the end of the 90s he decides there needs to be a definitive bad company anthology so they make a two disker and they release some new songs the the prerequisite gotta have some new stuff right Ooh. right yeah exactly because you're right you can't it, it's hard to it's hard to sell a greatest hits without something new to kind of entice people little uh, little bait there to get them in the door especially a double disc you know it's yeah. like you made six records and and you know although there's some great stuff on all of those and we went through a lot of them already but they wanted to do uh you know put out some new stuff and that's fine and you know it's a great it's a great compilation and then they gave them a chance to get back together for a little while the original bad company because you know they Mick Rouse and Simon Kirk had taken out bad company without Paul Rogers in the 80s basically when he was in the firm doing his thing the record company's like you guys want to make a record you got to call it back uh, and we you know we got to build this back up so you can go out and tour again so they got a guy named Brian Howe in very different voice but they they did have hits uh, with Brian Howe. They had a few albums that did well. They did a big tour with Damn Yankees, I remember. They were headlining, and Damn Yankees were opening for them, you know, another super group. When we were in high school, so, you know, it was like, Bad Company's Back, Sons, Paul Rogers. But I don't think Paul liked that. I don't think he liked the fact that his band was out there without him. So in the 90s and then into the 2000s, it's like, we're taking the band out as Bad Company. The original band was together for a while, but it didn't work out because Simon and Paul cleaned themselves up. Like, look, I, I don't need to be drugs drugged up and, and drunk all the time and I need to be healthy so I can do a good show you know we're in our 50s now we're not kids and we need to put on a show but Mick and Boz were still partying quite a bit and Boz eventually retired but Mick was in and out for a long
long time. And a lot of times he would not be able to tour because of health issues, probably related to his partying. So, and, and that's rough. That's a rough deal because especially if you're on the clean and sober end of that, I mean, it's at, at a certain point in time, you realize this is a business mm-hmm. and we're here to deliver a product. And if I don't know what you're going to show up as, are you going to be ready to play? Are you going to be not ready to play? Are you going to be kinder? I can't have that. I just can't have that. And the thing that stinks is the guy who's still partying is like, what's the big deal? Come on, it's rock and roll, man. This is what we do. No, that's what we did 20 years ago. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. Exactly. And so I, I so I respect the people who are sober and want to put on the best show they can. I, I get it. You know, I mean, it's why is, why is Ace Fraley not in Kiss? You know, um, and, and he's been sober for a long time now, at least, you know, eight, nine 10 something like that years but it doesn't matter you know he's he's already he's already burned too many bridges <laughs> <laughs> Now, the thing that was interesting was the whole Queen thing. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Because I've... Well, let me hear what you have to say. Okay, I'm going to tell you that I remember when they did that, and I remember when it came out, and I straight up dismissed it. Mm -hmm. Because how in the world are you going to substitute Freddie Mercury? There's just no way. There is just no way. So I never even listened to this. I never, I just dismissed it. Didn't even listen to it. You said, let's do this show. I said, okay, do a little research. And I watched the return of the champions mm-hmm. from, I think, Sheffield. It's amazing. <laughs> it's the great, it, he, because he doesn't do a Freddie Mercury impression. He does Paul Rogers singing the Queen songs and it works fantastically. It's, 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 it's awesome. It is an awesome show. He sings great band. It's really just Roger and uh, and uh, Brian May. Deacon uh, left. Deacon John yeah. Deacon was gone by then. They have they have a couple more guys in the back, a couple extra guitarists and a keyboard guy. But the band sounds phenomenal, and him singing those songs as Paul Rogers mm-hmm. works extremely well. Well, not to mention they played you know some of his free and bad company hits. They, they certainly did all right now every night. You know. And feel like making love, and again, to, to, and that was, and that was another cool thing too to watch Brian May play the bunna rap bunna. That worked too, and he looked like he was having a good time. And the other cool thing about that show is they let other people do things. Like mm-hmm. Roger Taylor got to sing Radio Gaga, which he wrote, and th- he, I don't think he would have ever done that with Mercury still alive. Like he's just the front guy, mm-hmm. and and it's funny because he was out there, and you can tell he's not a front man. Like, he's just kind of standing there. Right. He's got the mic. But his voice sounds good. He works the crowd. And it, it just worked. And and like I said, he I don't think he ever would have gotten that chance if it had the original band been together. You're right. And, uh, and to see them do Bohemian Rhapsody, where they kind of pipe Freddie in for the beginning part on the piano and all that kind of yes. stuff. And then when it gets to the rocking part, then Paul can come out and do his thing. I'm like, well, that's a really good way to handle that. You know? Correct. And, and when, when I, when they started into that, I'm like, yeah, what are we going to do here? And, and the cut, whoever, whoever thought that up and put it together did a really good job because it was kind of a cool tribute. I mean, no one's going to forget about Fred. No one. And I like, what's his name? Adam Lambert. I think he does a good job as a Freddie Mercury kind of, imp- not impersonator, but like tribute. Right. 
the way that he does it. Rogers did it his own way. And it was cool to see that. And it was cool to see them play the Bad Company songs. I, I'm like you, man. When I first, I wasn't, I, I dismissed it in that I don't want to go see that. I, I dismiss it. But I love Paul Rogers. I'm like, well, I'm glad he's getting a big stage. And I always thought it was too bad that Queen, Freddie Mercury died. And then they never got to tour again. They never got to do anything again. You know, I'm like, that kind of sucks. I mean, I know Freddie is unique, special, one-of-a-kind front man. But does it really mean you have to fold the band? Is there no other way for them to do this? And, you know, Brian kind of pitched Paul on, look, you know, go out and sing your songs. We'll be your backing band. And then sing our songs, too. And people liked it, you know, because it wasn't Paul. Like you said, he wasn't trying to be Freddie Mercury. And Freddie Mercury was a fan of Paul Rogers. He liked his attitude and he liked his voice. And and people were so anxious and desperate to see Queen, you know, like, yeah, you know, put them out there. Let's see how they do. And I think they were very successful. Now, what I didn't realize was they made a studio record. Okay, yeah, after after they did the original tour, yes. Right, yeah, the, the three of them wrote songs for it. And I, I didn't even know that existed until we did this. So I'm like, well, I have to, you know, besides watching some of the videos of him doing the, the Queen songs like I gotta hear this record and there's some high points on it his voice sounds amazing and the songs that he writes where the band plays with him there's one voodoo that I really like I think there's some good songs on there the problem is he's not perfect for Queen their music is doesn't lend itself he's too bluesy you know they need somebody with a little more range and a little more dynamic almost like operatic that that was Freddie Mercury's voice was almost I mean he could I think he did do opera at one point in time uh, an, an entire album but you're right it it, it it went together well on stage for the tour mm-hmm. but yeah I did listen to a couple tracks too and I was like eh. not a not a not a swing and a miss but like a foul ball maybe yeah you know and um, Roger was like Look, we, we love Paul, and he did an amazing job for us, but he's just, he doesn't quite fit our music. And EMI, I guess, were on their last legs at that point. They didn't even promote the record. He's like, we were on tour, and I went to a rock, record store, and our record wasn't even in there. And he's like, why the hell did we even make this thing? You know, they're not even going to put it in stores, you know? So it was, I mean, when you think of Queen, you think, of, oh, multi-million sellers. Obviously, by 2008, the landscape had changed, but you'd still think it would get to gold or platinum just on the fact that it's Queen. But I right. I didn't even know it existed until we started to make this show. Yeah, I didn't either. It, I, it was just doing it was doing uh, research for it that, that it came out. But yeah, it, I, I think that the concert part was fantastic. And I'm glad they did it because you're right. You watch the videos and there's obviously a huge, even today, a huge uh, demand for people uh, that want to see the Queen songs. Absolutely, right? So he's like, all right, well, then he can, you know, that he did his time in, in Queen. And from what I hear, Andrew... You know, Matt B., who is a fan of ours and a friend of mine, he, he went to see Queen with Adam Landers. Like, you know what? The kid, you know, he, he's doing things. You, you have to do it in Freddie Mercury's way, but you can also make it your own. And he's not just doing impersonation. He's he's doing tribute, but he's also kind of carving his own niche. And, uh, you know, I think the fans are behind it. Yeah, and, and I would I would definitely say it, too. I mean, I think, I think and, and the other cool thing about Adam Lambert, just on a quick side note, is the, the the interviews I've seen with him, he's always super humble, which, which is cool. You know, hey, I'm just, you know, here for the fans. So I think it's cool. But it, it just, I think that, I don't know if that would have worked as well without the Paul Rogers 
deal because Paul Rogers, he had the credit to, it wasn't just some queen and some random dude. It was somebody, an established star. That's right. Well, yeah. And I think doing that tour allowed them to then eventually go get Adam Lambert, right? Like you said, we we can still tour with somebody else. We got a legend uh, who's not like Freddie Mercury, but but a legend, you know, to to do it. And then you could go get Lambert. Um, It was the Cosmos Rock. The Cosmos Rocks was the name of the album. Uh, So then he can go out and tour, you know, and I always wanted to see him tour. And in 2018, he did a tour with Ann Wilson of Heart fame, where she would come out and sing her songs. But she also did some like Led Zeppelin covers, which I thought was kind of neat and who songs and stuff like that. Not just Heart songs. And then you get uh, Jeff Beck and then Paul Rogers kind of cleans it up at the end, you know. And, And I've seen Jeff Beck like four times, trying to see him a fifth time at Royal Albert Hall. They keep postponing that due to COVID, hopefully next year. But Paul comes out, he did 14 tracks all free and bad company. Uh, I was kind of thinking, will we hear a radioactive? Will we hear something for the firm? Will we hear anything from solo albums? No. It was all free and bad company. And honestly, I think he could have done more bad company because I think eight of the songs were free. Six were bad company. I'm like, you could have done 15 bad company songs if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, but he he looked good. He was in good shape. There's this weirdo lady sitting next to me who wanted to talk to me, you know, like between sets or whatever. Ah, people don't talk to each other. Now. You know, How do you feel? Have you seen Paul before? I'm like, yeah, yeah, lady. I mean, I got my wife next to me. You know? But but after he came out there, he looked great. I'm like, he looks good. And she's like, oh my God, he's so hot. I'm like, well, I'm not going that far. But I mean, I think he's he looks good. He's taking good care of himself and he's in good shape. And the thing is, it rained suddenly and we we're under this amphitheater in Cincinnati, Riverbend. So then like everyone's like this and all of a sudden it's raining on the edges. So then everybody squeezes into the middle, right? You know? And he's like, what a great audience. I'm like, it's because it's, it's raining, Paul. I hate to break it to you. Um, but <laughs> Have moment. I know, and the thing, well, because the thing is, I didn't know the free songs as, as well. Then, like "Wishing Well" and my brother Jake, Mister Big Woman, you know, these are great. Fire and Water, I didn't know. You know, I know all right now. Of course, that's what he closes with. That's the big one. Like "Walk in My Shadow," I didn't know these songs so well. So, but when he did "Can't Get Enough" and did "Feel Like Making Love," "Ready for Love" is is my very favorite song that he's ever been on I, I I don't know it's just he's got that richness of his voice it sounds like he's been through what he's talking about it's believable and it's it's just a killer track man what's your favorite Bad Company song I mean that that's hard to beat you know Rock and Roll Fantasy is pretty is pretty good only because I've heard it so many times mm-hmm. and then and then Silver Blue and Gold it, maybe it's not the greatest song they ever wrote but just his voice on that where he's just belting it out is is awesome as well yeah no i'm really glad i got to see him he, he's an amazing talent he's a showman he, he, and he him not being in the rock and roll hall of fame is just ridiculous you know i mean well i think i think that's what i mean that's circle back to the beginning of the show that's why we're here to lobby the rock and roll hall of fame i mean it's ridiculous that that somebody like this who's had such a long history it's almost like the rock and roll hall of fame wants big but if you only had one album that was huge they'd still you'd have a better chance than somebody like this who's got a giant catalog but mm-hmm. just not all with the same band yeah it's 125 million records sold that's unbelievable how much did it talking 
Talking Heads sell. They got right into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. Oh, they've influenced so many people. No, they haven't. You know, no, no, they haven't. You know, if you want to say David Byrne deserves to be in because he was the Talking Heads and he did a bunch of stuff afterwards, all right, fine. I won't fight you on that. Well, it, I mean, it's the same thing with Jeff Lynn and ELO. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, should ELO be in? Yeah. Jeff Lynn, okay, yeah. Jeff Lynn, yes. And, you know, the Wilburys and everything else. But yeah, that band, like. Yeah, that's, and the thing is, he went in, or ELO went in the same year that they let Niall Rogers in, back to the beginning of the show, but not Chic. And I'm like, they should have done the exact same thing for Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn should be in. Should ELO be in? Well, I don't know. But Jeff Lynn was ELO, so yeah, might as well, I guess. I don't know. You know, uh, who knows? But I think that was the last tour that he did was 2018. So if, you know, something horrible happens or, you know, he decides that's it, I'm, I'm getting off the road, I can say that I saw him on his last tour. But I doubt it. I, I bet he's one of those guys that not a lot of grass grows under his feet and he's always working on something. And once he has the opportunity to play again, he will. Well, and the thing is, too, you got to figure for a guy who puts that much time in i mean listen he's to be his age and to still be able to perform and to sing at that level why would you not i mean that's ridiculous there I, there are a ton of people who can't do it anymore so why go i guess my point is why go through all that time and effort to maintain yourself to not want to go out and tour again yeah so hopefully we'll see it again <laughs> There's our take on Paul Rogers, folks. I hope you liked it. I hope maybe you learned a little something. I know we learned a little something doing research and getting to listen to a lot of different and neat tunes for the podcast to do our research. And I hope you join me in clamoring for his inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think there's it's a no-brainer. I, I think he's done the work. If you sell 125 million records and have been doing it for 50 years and are respected by everybody in the industry, then you should probably be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that's just my opinion, and that's why we do this show, is to prop up artists and bands and albums that we have a connection to, that we love. And there may be some people who know them, but we're trying to spread the word, get it out there. And that's what this is about, right? Sharing the music that we love, connecting with others who share the same interest, and maybe turning them on to something new, maybe teach them something new. I know I learn new stuff every time we do a show. Next week, we're going to go a little different. going to go down kind of the independent alternative path on a band called The Church. In 1988, they released an album called Starfish which hit pretty big success in America thanks to the single Under the Milky Way. Some people might call them a one-hit wonder, as that's really the only song most, at least most Americans, know, and most folks around the world. But that album turned me on to them. They've made more than 20 records. They've been going more than 40 years, and they've done some amazing songs, and I just want people to know more about them. So check out that next week. In the meantime, of course... Did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? You've got to let us know. Send us a note on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 and check out all past episodes at uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Until next time, rockers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 